Hi everybody and welcome to the next installment of the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. I'm your host Adam Hofberg and joining me today is Lena Heilman. She is with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment with the Office of Suicide Prevention and Lena is the Youth Suicide Prevention Coordinator and she's going to talk to us today about some of the exciting work going on here in Colorado. So welcome Lena. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. It's really great to have you here, and thanks for coming out to our new VA to uh, join us. It's great, and it's a beautiful sunny day, so I'm really happy to be here. Absolutely. So, Lena, I just wanted to start by having you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit more about your work, and really uh, take a moment to talk about what connects you with suicide prevention and what drives you in your work. Great, thank you. Yeah, so right now I'm with the Office of Suicide Prevention. I'm the Youth Suicide Prevention Coordinator, and it's a relatively new position for me. I joined the Office of Suicide Prevention in February. And what drives my work is back in 2012, I lost my younger sister, Danielle, to suicide. She had just turned 24. And at the time I was writing a dissertation in German literature, which I completed and I went on to be a professor at Knox College in German literature. But the more that time went on, the more that I realized that I wanted to join the field of suicide prevention and really do a lot more to prevent suicides here in the United States. So I left academia, retrained, did a lot of volunteering, asked myself some really hard questions about where should I be devoting my energy? Is this the right place for me? And I realized that part of my survival and my journey through grief is being on the front lines of suicide prevention and helping drive that conversation and coming into it with deep empathy and this lived experience, lost survivor identity that I think is so needed in the field. And there's so many amazing people with lived experience in the field, so I get a lot of support from others who are working together to save lives. Mm, Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And and I am very sorry to hear about your loss. You. Um, so it sounds like you changed your, your entire career path as a result of this to really uh, become a, an active advocate for suicide prevention. I did, and it was definitely the right decision. I'm so grateful every day when I wake up that I get to go out and make a difference and to prevent suicides in different ways. Um, but still a hard transition. Uh, mm-hmm. Career transitions are hard. I loved a lot of what I was doing before as a professor. I loved working with students. I liked the research aspect. I was studying suicide in literature in the 18th century, and that was also really interesting. So there's a lot that I do miss, but this is definitely the right decision. And I think sometimes the right decisions are the hardest ones that we make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you kind of commented about how that brings a lot of empathy and compassion to your work. Um, why is this so important to incorporate into suicide prevention? It's a great question. Um, I think on the one hand, just knowing the pain that people are in, whether they're themselves um, in suicidal distress or facing a mental health crisis, knowing that on a deeper level allows me to ask different questions or just be there differently. But also um, at the state and public health, we look at a lot at data and we're data driven and that's really important. But when I look at data, I also know that my sister is represented in that data. So I have a different sense of these are just not, not just numbers. These are people's lives and their hopes and their dreams and their struggles and their bravery captured in this data. 
And so there's a, a level of respect that I think everyone has, but I think those with lived experience, it just it never goes away that those numbers are people's lives. And changing those numbers means saving people and helping them lead happier, more fulfilling lives. Excellent. Thank you. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about the work you do as the Youth Suicide Prevention Coordinator. So yeah, first of all, just tell us a little bit about your role and also um, how it fits within the Department of Public Health and Environment and what that means. So my position is the Youth Suicide Prevention Coordinator, and generally speaking, youth is defined as ages 0 to 24, okay. which I'm really excited about. I think looking a lot at different age groups is super important. Um, so at the Office of Suicide Prevention and in the Department of Public Health, we look at comprehensive suicide prevention and strategies to prevent violence and injury and death. And this includes upstream work. So we look a lot at what protects people, what helps people from getting to a place where they might be in suicidal distress. So some protective factors might be feeling connected to a community, having open conversations with their loved ones, knowing where to turn to if situations do become harder, building resilience, not just on the individual level, but what does a resilient community look like? Where are the resources that are out there? Um, are people supportive? Um, we also look at what are some of the risk factors that might be inherent in interpersonal relationships or um, in more systemic levels. So how can we support economic supports? How can we address food insecurity? How can we look at which people are being included or excluded from certain systems? And the more that we can reduce risk and the more that we can um, improve and support protection, the better for all health outcomes, including suicide. With suicide specifically, we also want to look at uh, a comprehensive suicide approach. So that includes upstream prevention, which I just briefly gave a very brief overview of, but also gatekeeper trainings. Um, what are the signs of suicide? What are we looking for? How does that look in different populations of people here in Colorado? We want to look at interventions at health systems. How can we provide people who are facing a mental health crisis or suicidal despair? How do we help support them in those moments through a mental health provider lens and approach? And how do we support people after they survive a suicide attempt or suicidal ideation? So we can support um, people when they leave a hospital room or inpatient setting. And how do we support those who are grieving? So I'm a big proponent of postvention, bereavement support, those who've lost a loved one to suicide need a lot of support too. Are there support groups? Are there programs there that are supporting those who have faced this loss? Again, at the individual level, but also at the community level. How do we share the information with people in a way that recognizes the trauma and despair of suicide? but that also showcases how much hope and resilience and bravery there is in our own communities and in the stories that we have. And all of that together, I think, is what suicide prevention needs to be doing, and I'm really glad that that's what our office is doing. Yeah, that's such a, a nice um, full description of what suicide prevention can look like, ranging from, as you talked touched on, protective factors both at the individual community society level and risk factors at the individual community society. And I feel like 
suicide prevention field as a whole is is moving towards more of this comprehensive public health approach. Um, and I, I'm very excited to hear more about what that's looking like in Colorado here with our youth suicide prevention program. So can you go into that a little bit more with us? Sure. So one of the things that I'm specifically doing with the Office of Suicide Prevention is that I am coordinating um, a Garrett Lee Smith or GLS Youth Suicide Prevention Grant, which is funded by SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And with this grant, we are using that comprehensive suicide prevention model, upstream, gatekeeper, intervention, follow-up, to saturate youth suicide prevention efforts in eight Colorado counties with high burdens of youth suicide. For the purposes of this grant, youth is defined as ages 10 to 24. So again, a little bit more of an expanded definition of youth. So we have regional youth suicide prevention coordinators who are the amazing boots on the ground people in these eight counties doing a lot of the work to align systems, to connect different coalitions and efforts, and to ask questions about where is youth suicide prevention happening, where are gaps, how can we help support those gaps um, to help um, implement and coordinate some of the different programmatic elements that we're supporting in these counties with the hopes that the work doesn't just stop within those counties, but that it spreads across Colorado. But we want to start with some of the funding in these specific counties that have high burdens. And what I'm excited about is, well, all of it, definitely. Mm -hmm. But also, again, just this age range of 10 to 24, there are a lot of youth that fall in that age range who go through a lot of transition periods between schools, between systems. Um, and I think having an opportunity to reach youth who are going between transitional phases in their life is really important. So not just in one school setting, uh, not just in one smaller age range, but helping uh, people as they move through systems, move through different friend circles, communities, um, and just support them all the way through. Yeah, I think that was uh, very important that you kind of talked about youth as this expanded developmental period. I think people might hear youth and automatically assume we're talking about school age mm -hmm. children, but really we're, we're extending well into a, a early adulthood, it seems. Absolutely. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I used to be a college professor and I lost my sister when she was 24. And I saw firsthand a lot of the challenges that students in college face with mental health. So with this grant, we're able to also support uh, young adults, uh, whether they're in college, higher ed, or not. Mm -hmm. And so again, looking at in each county, where are these young adults? What are the challenges they're facing? How can we support them? For me, that aligns very much with my mission, and so I'm so grateful to be able to be doing this work. Yeah, I can hear a lot how the work you're doing really connects to your personal connection and your passion for Thank suicide you. prevention. And um, so you touched on this idea of transitions and maybe these being really uh, opportune or ripe places for intervention and prevention efforts. Can you expand on that? Absolutely. So I know that, well, we all know in the field of suicide prevention that transitions are tough times. They're tough times because we might be entering new systems, a new school, making new friends. I think it also comes down to identity. Who are we when we go through transitions? And I think youth and young people, it's especially difficult to move through a lot of these systems and to constantly be wondering, what is my identity? What does it mean to go through struggles? 
where are my coping skills if the environment around me has changed? Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, in that age range, maybe 18 to 20, there are some big questions that are being asked that sometimes I think are overlooked by society. And I think devoting time and energy and empathy to the struggles people go through as they're moving into adulthood. And the more that we can help build these protective factors and help encourage positive coping skills, uh, connection to community, resilience in these younger ages, the better off people will be as they move through the future years of their life. Mm -hmm. So what are some examples of some of the programs around, especially these resilience sort of protective factors? I think, you know, especially when we think about youth, we're kind of most interested in catching things early and and building that uh, resilience and, and, uh, yeah, throughout the lifespan. Yeah, so with the purposes of this grant, with those steps that I mentioned, the upstream prevention, the gatekeeper, the clinical intervention, and the follow-up, we've identified a program for each of those steps. So with the upstream prevention, we're really looking at the Sources of Strength program, which is primarily put into the school system, but it's more than suicide prevention. It's helping students and youth identify what are their coping skills, who are their trusted adults, and to build onto some of those systems. So that's one part of a formal program that we're supporting. But the regional youth suicide prevention coordinators in each county are also working to see what are the various nonprofits, organizations, coalitions, after school groups that are working in this upstream way to help connect youth and to improve their lives. And how can we make sure all the systems are coming together and that youth know where to go if they are struggling or just to be part of a bigger community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we learned so much uh, that social support and connectedness are such important uh, values and um, areas for strength and resilience. Um, tell us a little bit more about how some of these upstream programs build social support or help people connect. Yeah, I think part of the premise there is that um, as people, we will go through tough times. That's inevitable, I think. And the more that we can practice and develop skills and ways of knowing our own strengths and identifying them within us and our own resilience, the better off that we are. And I think it's also important for youth and programs to understand the importance of inclusivity and diversity and Mm. respecting people and just being part of this together and just having that human empathy for others and for ourselves, and that respecting our own mental health and knowing what we need to do for self-care, these are skills, again, that are important no matter where we're at in life, but also all the way through the rest of our lives. Mm. Yeah. I, I want to come back to that in- inclusivity and diversity piece. I wanted to step back a little bit because I think you you mentioned this sort of model where you're thinking about upstream, screening, intervention, follow-up. So you've talked to us a little bit about what that upstream piece looks like. Will you maybe just work us through the other components of this comprehensive approach? We have the upstream where we've identified sources of strength. We also have um, gatekeeper training. So we're doing a lot with the QPR, the question, persuade, refer training model around Colorado, but specifically in these eight counties to provide QPR training to those who work with youth in that age range 10 to 24 For clinical intervention, we've identified CAMS, the Collaborative Assessment and Management of Suicidality Framework. And so we bring CAMS trainings to Colorado with the national trainers and 
people, mental health providers, etc., can attend these trainings free of charge and ha- go through this amazing training to learn how to help support those who are in suicidal distress. And we've identified the follow-up project to help support those who are being discharged from an emergency room or inpatient setting related to suicidal distress, and that's through Rocky Mountain Crisis Partners. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. You, you touched on so many things, and I, I just want to put a quick plug that we've we've covered CAMS a little bit in our podcast, so I invite listeners to uh, listen to our podcast with Dr. Jobes, who helped develop CAMS. As well, we just recorded a podcast with Jess Stolman-Rainey uh, with Rocky Mountain Crisis Partners. So I love how we're able to um, touch on some of these in today's podcast, and then you can dive a little bit deeper into some of these components of your framework, um, listening to our other sessions. We've kind of got the big picture now. So tell us a little bit more about how uh, Colorado's Youth Suicide Prevention incorporates the ideas of diversity and inclusiveness um, in the programs. It's a great question. I think nationally, one of the questions we're facing a lot is on LGBTQ youth and individuals and about suicide attempts and rates among LGBTQ youths and adults. And I think it's always so important to point out when we're having this conversation that there is nothing inherent about being part of the LGBTQ community that puts somebody um, at higher risk for suicide. There's nothing in that identity itself. However, the community around the individual can have effects on somebody, especially if they're part of a marginalized identity or if they're perceiving themselves to be discriminated against or not part of a bigger supportive framework. So whether it's an LGBTQ identity or it's about race and ethnicity or whether it's about ability or whether it's about um, status, whatever it is, if somebody is not feeling supported, that's what puts somebody at higher risk for all sorts of mental health challenges and could possibly also be a risk factor for suicide, suicide attempts, suicide deaths. So focusing on inclusivity and understanding that connecting with people and including them is really one of the most supportive things we can do for people of any age, including youth, that really drives a lot of the work that I do. Mm. I was really uh, struck by the way you said that, you know, identifying as a particular category of LGBTQ status doesn't inherently carry risk. It's, again, looking at it from that society and environment around us perspective where um, that can be the piece that contributes to feeling other or outside of the group. Right, and I'm sure you know, too, that there's so much research that shows that using somebody's pronouns or their chosen name, that reduces risk, suicide risk, so quickly. And that's such an easy thing that we can do in our own communities and societies. And that's just based on respecting people for how they want to be in this world. Mm, Very important. So thanks for for drawing attention to that. Um, I also, um, so you kind of framed this upstream approach as, preventing sort of a variety of outcomes that we may want to avoid. Could you talk to us a little bit more about how a comprehensive upstream approach sort of prevents a wide variety of negative outcomes? Sure, absolutely. 
Um, suicide is a terrible outcome. I don't even really like using that word. It sounds so researchy right? or, or I mean, it's a cold. traumatic yeah. death. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But it's also a negative outcome. And there's so many things that can lead up to suicide, so many places where we can intervene beforehand, and um, so many other risk factors that we can mitigate or reduce before somebody even gets to that place of being in suicidal despair. And so an upstream approach also reduces um, bullying, sexual violence, interpersonal violence, um, unhealthy coping skills, substance use, all of these other things that those also contribute to suicide risk. So all of these, again, outcomes um, can be reduced through upstream prevention and they all come together to make somebody's life better and to stop somebody and prevent somebody from getting to that place where they might be in suicidal despair and make an attempt on their life. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And you mentioned that schools are sort of a very, um, I don't want to say convenient, but it's a place that we can potentially reach and catch a lot of youth early on. Um, anything more you wanted to expand on, on why schools are a great uh, place to sort of implement these types of programs? Well, schools are a great place to implement, absolutely. And I think a lot of schools are on board and understand the importance of doing upstream work, mental health support, suicide prevention in the school system. But suicide prevention needs to be comprehensive across the board, and that means involving the parents, the caretakers, the families of youth, of individuals. It means looking at where are people after school, if student, if youth are in school, where are they, where's the workforce, um, how does it all come together? No system by itself should have to carry the burden of suicide prevention, and in fact, if only one system is trying to do all the work of suicide prevention, I don't think we can fully prevent suicide. So everyone needs to be on board working together. And it shouldn't be just schools who are doing it. And it's not. There are so many amazing coalitions and groups and organizations and families and faith communities who are dedicating themselves to making people's lives worth living mm-hmm. and to preventing suicide that... I think it's so important to recognize the work that we're all doing and the way that all of these systems come together and align to support the people in our communities. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because, as you mentioned, it's really all these systems working together across, like you said, interfaith, school, family, community, after-school programs, and schools are, of course, a big piece of that as well. Yeah. Okay. So... This is a Garrett Lee Smith grant that we're kind of uh, focusing on. So how far into the grant are you? How long of a grant is? Where does sort of, what is the big picture of this project? So it's a five-year grant. We are coming up on the end of the first year. So I'm really excited to go into year two with really all of our ducks in a row and really streamline what we're doing and saturate even more. So we have about four years left. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Great. And you mentioned that... This is being rolled out in eight Colorado counties with the vision that, you know, down the road, this might become a statewide or even a model uh, for other states. Could you talk a little bit more about where programs like this could go? Yes. So we've identified 
these eight counties, and some of these counties are rural counties, and some of these counties are urban counties, and the demographics of youth and individuals in these counties can look pretty different. So we have Weld and Larimer in the northeast. Jefferson is our Denver Metro County, El Paso and Pueblo. And on the western slope, we have Mesa, Delta, and Montezuma. So you can see we have a range of counties from around the state. And on the one hand, having this comprehensive suicide prevention approach looks similar in those eight counties is important, but also recognizing that communities are different on the ground. There are different resources available. There are different cultures captured within those communities, different priorities, different ways that people spend their time, different stressors, different protective factors. And being able to understand within the community and the communities in these counties how to support people can look different from place to place. That's one of the models of suicide prevention that I think is so important. We live in a really big country with very different populations in different states. And being able to adapt strategies as appropriate that aligns with being inclusive and culturally appropriate and sensitive and respectful. So if we can do that here in Colorado, in that youth lens, but also in all the other programs the Office of Suicide Prevention is doing that's not just youth, um, if we can really drive this message that there's some standards that we should have, but that things look different in different communities, that's a model I think that serves us well nationwide and around the world. Hmm. Yeah, really, really important. Thank you so much for touching on that, uh, this idea that suicide prevention needs to be tailored and specific to the community and the framework that you're working in locally. So we have like sort of these guiding uh, evidence-based sort of top-level things, but then within each community, it's going to look different. What are the resources? What are the after-school programs? What are the community resources? And um, the rurality piece, so, so many uh, moving parts there that need to be tailored to each community. Right, and I think, thank you for picking up on that and kind of summarizing that so nicely. Um, I also want to just say that I think what's also so important is just the way that we live our lives and that we interact with the people around us that interpersonal part is also so important. It's not just the programs that we can fund and support, but it's also how we treat each other in those small moments where we interact. So I, I truly believe that in the conversations we have when we go grocery shopping or we're in our car or just meeting people or interacting with our friends, if we can do that as much as possible authentically with an open heart, with sharing that space with people, that's what strengthens a community. That's what gives people the sense that they're being respected. They belong here. Those Every interaction we have can be part of suicide prevention. Mm. So thank you so much, Lena, for you know talking us through these programs um, here in Colorado. And you know we started the podcast talking about lived experience and how important it is in suicide prevention. And part of that is also self-care and how we take care of ourselves working in this field. It can be challenging, um, but also very rewarding. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you take care of yourself doing this work. That's such a great question. Thank you for asking. Um, my mental health has to be a priority for me, and it's something that I am dedicated to every single day. And over time, in my grief, I've learned so much about what do I need to do to survive and to support my mental health. 
And that becomes even more important when I'm working in this field. And sometimes the data that we have or the, the information that we're receiving is really disheartening. And it can be triggering. It can be really upsetting. So I always want to make space for myself to have those moments when I leave work, if I need to, to enter that space and to allow myself to be sad and to access my grief. Um, but I also have a routine, a regimen every single day as much as possible to support my mental health. And that includes sleep hygiene. I'm so big into getting enough sleep and doing whatever I can to support healthy sleeping habits. I know that if I don't have enough sleep, the rest of my day is gonna be more difficult intellectually, productively, but also emotionally. Um, I try to have a healthy workout routine, uh, whether it's doing something indoors, as much as possible, we live in such a beautiful state. I love to get outdoors. Being in nature is wonderful. So if on the weekends I can get into the mountains or spend some more time away from people, away from the city, that's so important. Healthy eating habits, knowing my hobbies, being around animals, um, mm. knowing who I can connect with, who are positive supports in my own life. When I say, you know, we encourage youth to have trusted adults and caring connections, that's true for me too. Who are people that help me feel good about myself, whether I'm in a really good place or if I need some extra support. Um, connecting with other lost survivors, um, including sibling suicide loss survivors, people who understand my perspective and know what that means. It's really important for me to stay connected to them too, because I know that we're all in this together. And just knowing that there are other people out there that are going through the same experiences that I am is very supportive. Um, I have a a balance with social media. On the one hand, for me, social media is a place to learn important suicide prevention information, and there's a great community of survivors out there. But overuse of technology and social media also prevents me from engaging in personal, real-life conversations and from getting outdoors and all of these things. So I think finding that balance and moderation, letting myself have tough days and tough times, and trying to hold myself to a routine that supports myself as much as possible. All of these things together are ways that I do self-care. Thank you. Yeah, such great uh, advice or tips for, for others also because, uh, you know, we, not, we need to put our, our best foot forward when we come into this work and this space and making sure that we take time to take care of ourselves is, is so important. And, you know, I can... Second, a lot of that. Uh, just just went on a nice hike with my pup this past weekend, oh, nice. and just uh, retreating into nature sometimes can be so healing and so powerful. So yeah, and as a loss survivor, it's important for me to also be aware. I can't not be aware, but to respect that anniversaries are harder. Uh, to support myself a little bit more, to connect more with my family on anniversaries, to make a little bit more space for times that might be more difficult and to just honor that um, mm. and to build that into the way that I live my life is the way that I support myself too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So powerful uh, in the beginning how you said, you know, these aren't numbers. These are lives. These are families. These are people. They all have stories. We all have a story. And um, thank you for bringing your story here thank today. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. Any uh, final words? before we let you go today. And also, I wanted to make sure that uh, folks know where to find out more information if they want to follow up with you or they have questions or they want to learn more about the work or even get involved in some of the work that you do. 
Yeah, so one of the great places to go is to our Office of Suicide Prevention website, which is COOSP.org. So CO for Colorado, OSP for the Office of Suicide Prevention. And from there, there's a list of great resources and links, including my contact information if people do want to reach out to learn more or to share information. I'm always excited to learn. I'm a lifelong learner, I've realized. And so I'm always interested in knowing what work is being done, what research is happening, how to stay up to date with the latest initiatives. I think suicide prevention is in such an exciting time because so many of our efforts are aligned. And I think this is the right time to ask big questions, to try new approaches, to really figure out what is the best way forward. And so the more I can learn about the topic, the better it is for me in terms of my role at the Office of Suicide Prevention, but it also helps me as Lena, as a loss survivor, as a sister, all of these other things that make up myself as well. Mm, thank you. Well, folks, we're going to leave it there for today. And of course, as Lena mentioned, you can reach out with any questions, comments, um, anything you'd like to say about uh, today's podcast. We invite you to also uh, subscribe, share this with others, and leave us a review if you feel so inclined. Um, until next time, join us for more interviews on important work in suicide prevention and resilience. Mm-hmm.